so what I've realized is, is I just try to focus on being me. Don't worry about masculine. Don't worry about feminine. Don't worry about what a woman's supposed to be or a man's supposed to be or like all these things we're told. And instead, just focus on being myself. Welcome to the Vince Del Monte Podcast Show, where each week we bring you the raw and real experiences, lessons, and timeless principles every man needs to master the five M's of manhood. By sharing conversations with the world's most successful people pursuing the five M's, you'll build muscle faster, achieve a winner's mindset, increase your money, dominate your mission, and go the distance with your marriage. My name is Vince Del Monte, entrepreneur, author, pro fitness model, and father. And I've helped tens of thousands of men transform their bodies and lives through muscle, entrepreneurship, and personal development. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's begin. Hey, it's Vince Del Monte. Before we dig into the podcast, I want to remind you, if you are a fitness entrepreneur and you are looking to start a successful and profitable online fitness business, or you're looking to scale it to the next level of profits, maybe you're at 30K or 80K a month and you want to go to that next level, well, the Fitness Business Mastermind of the Year is happening February 9th and 10th in Clearwater, Florida. There will be over 100 of the top fitness entrepreneurs, leaders, authors, individuals who are personal brands, doing eBooks, membership sites, supplements, clothing, you name it. If people are making money and growing, they will be in that room. And you know how it is. When you come to these events, all you need is one or two right ideas or one or two right partners to 10X your investment. So I want you guys to go to Vince Del Monte, sevenfiguremastermind.com and I want you to fill out the application. We'll jump on the phone, you and I or Jay Maxwell, one of my top students, and we will figure out if this is right for you. If you got any questions, we will answer them. We will tell you what's the breakdown in terms of content on day one, uh, what we do with the hot seats on day two. We even have two incredible guests who are going to be taking the stage and teaching, and those individuals are Bedros Koulian and Joel Marion. Two incredible individuals who are both running nine-figure businesses, and you're going to find out what's putting money in their bank account. And at this event, we are going to give you your specific marching orders to get one year's worth of results in 90 days, all right? This event is not an expense. Whether you're flying in from Nicaragua, Australia, or England, this is an investment. You will 10x whatever you spend to come into the room. And as a successful entrepreneur, you must understand that investing into yourself is not something that costs you something. It's something that will cause something bigger. And once you make that shift, you will start to be able to make the decisions to build an empire and to leave the legacy and to create the generational wealth that you aspire to and that you deserve. But you can't think about it. You've got to act quickly because these platforms and ideas that come, they change so quickly and they become so obsolete that if you're thinking too much, you're going to get blown away. You're going to get left behind and you're going to be struggling. You're going to get stuck in the weeds, chasing dimes instead of chasing dollar bills and this event is going to give you the fast track to blowing up your business just two days in the right room with the right people with the right marching orders is going to accelerate your business more than any other decision you can make this year there's no other place that you can put your money to grow your business than into an event into a mastermind and as we teach money is useless until you use it to make more and fear is the path to freedom. So if you're a little bit scared, that's good. It means you're taking this seriously. So go to Vince Del Monte, sevenfiguremastermind.com, fill out the application, we'll jump on the phone, figure out if this is right for you. And if it's not, we're going to tell you because we only want serious people in the room. One bad apple can ruin it all. We're not going to hard sell you. We're going to make sure that this is the right fit for you. So bring your questions. We'll map out your millionaire math. We'll map out your millionaire path. So you see how we're going to 10X your business and we will even give you marching orders on the call to have done before you show up in Clearwater so your investment is paid for before you come. All right, guys, nobody's doing what we're doing in the industry. There's a lot of little events here and there, but no one's bringing out the heavy hitters, the big dogs, the people who are actually making it happen in one room for two days only. You snooze, you lose. We're moving forward with or without you. You got to make a decision fast and you got to make it firm, all right, or else this business is not for you. I look forward to seeing your application and jumping on the phone with you, and we're going to 10X your biz. We'll talk to you soon. Now enjoy the rest of the podcast. 
Welcome back to the Vince Del Monte podcast show. And just when you thought there couldn't be any more muscle on this show, you won't believe who I have here for you today. I got the chance to recently sit down with former Marine and powerlifting world record holder Janae Kroc. And you may have heard of Janae from her new documentary called Transformer, which is an incredible film showcasing her journey of transitioning from male to female. And this film was created by none other than my baby bro, Michael Del Monte, over two and a half years. And it just won big at Hot Docs. It won the Rogers Audience Award for Best Canadian Documentary. Uh, Mikey also won the Emerging Canadian Filmmaker Award at the same festival. And it took home awards in the same category in the fall of 2017 at the Austin Film Festival where it premiered. And in this film, Janae gets very vulnerable as she does in this episode. She's totally open, not literally, but she's pretty much fully exposed. You know, I challenged her on some questions regarding, you know, did this transition help? Did it make a difference? And you will see that she's very real and very truthful. And I think you're going to really have a different outlook on this whole conversation. I'll be honest, you know, when Mikey told me and my brothers uh, and my parents that he was making this film, we didn't really know what to think. This conversation has never really hit home. And uh, I've never really had an opinion. I just was kind of confused, if you will. That's probably the best word to describe it. Not with a bias or anything. I just didn't understand it. And after getting to know Janae and her story, I've just been really blown away by how truly amazing she is, especially with how much adversity she's gone through and how much love and passion she still has to offer the world despite how much she's gone through. You know, if you've ever felt restrained to living in a box, you know, whether based on your sexuality or just any... um, maybe label you've given yourself in life and you just know you're capable of achieving more with your body and your life. Yeah, regardless of whether you're male, female, or transgender, it doesn't matter. You're going to learn so much from this episode and from her story. It's just jam-packed with tons of value from start to finish. So I encourage you to just sit back, relax, enjoy. And uh, one, of the, um, one of my favorite quotes from Janae was uh, when she said this, worry less about what people think and realize it's more important to be true to yourself. And before we get into you know, the transition part of her story, I was fascinated with her powerlifting achievements. So we dug deep into what it took to become the world's strongest powerlifter, uh, where she developed her unstoppable drive. And when she got serious about competitive powerlifting, Janae's biggest highlights from her chapter in powerlifting. And then we moved to uh, talking about being true to yourself and what that meant to her. And we talked about a lot of the surgeries that she went through, uh, which were pretty, you know, mind-blowing to say the least. We talked a lot about uh, just living, lifting, and competing as transgender. You know, what was that like and what is it like now? I also was curious to know her thoughts on Donald Trump's attack on the transgender community recently. And uh, she gave me some uh, really insightful replies with that entire conversation. And, uh, you know, I was really also interested in how she deals with the daily hate. So um, without further ado, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Janae Kroc. I hope you enjoy this episode and you share it with all your friends. It was really, really awesome. And I'm hoping to get a lift in with her sometime in the near future. I got to get my strength up to some respectable numbers. Uh, And then uh, maybe we'll make that happen. All right, guys and gals, enjoy. Janae, welcome. Thank you. So what are you up to in Toronto today? Um, I'm going to go over and train at Fortis West and uh, just hanging out with my girlfriend, Olivia. Oh, nice. Well, I've heard so much about you through our mutual friend, my baby bro, Michael Del Monte, and uh, so grateful that he set this up for us. So uh, let's just get started. What um, are you guys up to in uh, the gym today? What are you guys lifting? Uh, we got back today. So some deadlifts, crack rows, of course, and uh, some other back assistance exercises, but should be a good workout. Uh, have you trained at Fortis before? I have not. Okay. So I've been here for a year and a half and we just discovered Fortis recently. It's awesome. I've heard really good things, and I know a number of powerlifters that train there, as well as the owner. Really good oh, guys. Oh, you know Jeremy? Strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've oh, met cool. before. He's a strong dude. Yeah, yeah. I think he was telling us his uh, numbers over 2,000. Yeah. Well, what were your bests? Let's kick, let's kick off there. <laughs> so <laughs> my the standard yeah, here. <laughs> yeah, so my best um, was 1,014 in the squat, uh, 738 in the bench, and 810 in the deadlift. And I had a, well, my all-time world record was a 2551 total at 220. 2551 at 220 pounds. When was that? 
2009. Yeah. Did you feel you did everything you could in powerlifting, or do you feel you left any? You know, like Rocky uh, no, says, I think I got a little more in the basement. <laughs> yeah, I think you. I think you know, a really competitive athlete always feels like you could have did more. And and to be honest, the day I set the world record, I didn't have a good day. It was like a five for nine. I only I took a token squat, one good squat, passed my third because I knew. At that point, my focus was just getting the world record, and I knew all I needed to do was squat over 1,000, and then I knew I could bench and deadlift enough to break the world record. So that was just my focus. And I didn't want to tax my back too much in squats or, you know, take chances with injuries and stuff like that at that point. And uh, so I just wanted to get that 1,003 on the board, and, and then I knew I could bench and deadlift enough, and that's exactly what happened. But it wasn't a good day. Um, I only got my opener bench. I had cut... So I was known for like doing these huge, crazy weight cuts and I would cut all the weight in 24 hours and I had dropped 35 pounds in a little over 24 hours to make weight. I would walk around at 255 and compete at 220. How do you drop 30 pounds, 255 <laughs> to 220 and how, how the heck does that happen? It was a miserable process. Give me a couple I, of details though. <laughs> I would basically just sweat it all out. Um, so in that, it's, it's not a healthy process and it's not even a safe process, but as a you know, competitive athlete trying to break world records, it's what you do, you know? Depending on where I was, if I had access to a steam room, that was always the best way because you could sweat the fat at fastest. But a lot of times I'd be staying in a hotel. You know, I was always out of town on the road. I would turn my hotel bathroom into a steam room. I would plug up all the vents and stuff with towels, turn the shower on full hot, and I would get it up to like, you know, I don't know, 150 degrees or something in there. And uh, it was just a miserable process. So I would do, what I would do is 30-minute uh, rotations. I would go in there for 25 minutes, out for five, and I would do that all night long. And I would time it. So that like, if weigh-ins were 8 in the morning, I would try to time it so I would just make, make it down to my weight at like 7, 7.30 right before weigh-ins because, you know, health-wise and performance-wise, I wanted my weight to be down there as, for as short a time as possible before I came back up. And then so I would try to time it just to make weight when weigh-ins were and then immediately replenish because if I dropped 30 or 35 pounds, I had to put 30 or 35 pounds back on in the next 24 hours before I competed the next day. And that was one of the things like I was fortunate with. I had kind of an iron stomach and I had a big appetite and, and I could eat and drink that much, but it was, it was work. I mean, it was a ton of work. I mean, the process cutting down was just absolutely miserable. You know, if anybody who sat in a steam room or a sauna for 20 minutes, you know how hot you get after yeah, that. I can Picture do for doing minutes. that 24 hours straight. It's just, and after like, and for me, you know, this was a process of like initially when I was competing at the national and world level, I was cutting like 10 pounds to make weight. Well, then I kept getting stronger and bigger and adding more muscle. And so my cuts became bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was still able to make the 220 class. So like by the end, I was cutting 30, 32 pounds, 35 pounds. And that, that was about the limit that, I mean, it was to the point where there were times I had to have my friends carry my gym bag to weigh-ins because I could barely walk. Like, I was so depleted. And like I said, I don't recommend this for anyone else. It was not a healthy thing. And I wasn't doing this for health. I was doing this to win. And so it was like, you know, whatever it took. And, um, and it is funny because it was such a miserable process. For most people, like a 20-pound cut's huge. For me, 20 was just getting started. Like, the work didn't even start until I was over 20 pounds. And mentally, I would just be like okay, I'm down like 22 pounds. Now it's time to go to work. And, and that's uh, the last 15. Yeah. And then it was just, cause then the, you know, it slows down the your rate of your sweating. And, and what happened when I made the time I made 35 pounds for the world record, I actually dried out and quit sweating and still had four pounds to go. And then it, I've ended up squeezing it out, but it was just miserable. And you're just so exhausted, so depleted, the heat, you're so sick of the heat and just to mentally be able to force yourself to keep doing that. But for me, it was like, once I committed to something, there was no going back. It was cutting weight and I'm, I'm going to be here until I make it or bad things happen. But so you, you were committed. You, yeah. There was no, you're committed, figure out the rest later. <laughs> exactly. It was just, I'll be here until, until I'm done. Tell so. me one more crazy thing you did to get ready for the level you competed at. I did all kinds of crazy yeah, things. Give me a couple. Um, I mean, some of the cool things people would probably find inspiring is I used to break into gyms in the middle of the night to train. Like when I was in college, I was the president and we had a private weightlifting club. And it was in the basement of the oldest building in campus. It was this cool, hardcore dungeon that was, um, you know, in the basement of this building. It had hot water pipes that ran across the top. And it was, like, dirty and sweaty. And it was just perfect place for training hard. But the problem was they locked the building up in the evenings. Well, at that time, so I was going to school full-time. I was working as an intern in the evenings. And then, you know, we were in the process of having a family. So I was married and had a couple kids and a third on the way. And I would get out of my intern job at like 11 o'clock at night, drive 45 minutes back home, 
eat, and then I'd train at midnight or one in the morning. Well, the building's all locked up. I would pry open doors, climb through windows, whatever I had to do to break into the building to train in the middle of the night. And it was funny because the, the janitors and stuff, I think, caught on to the fact I was breaking in there. But, but I think it confused them because nothing was ever stolen or missing or anything. But they put new locks on the doors. They would go around and check all the windows. And, and, but I always found a way. And so, yeah, I would, uh, I would be there at 1 o'clock in the morning training this empty building that I just broke into all by myself. And, um, but it was just one of those things. It was like, you know, I was hungry and competitive. And, but I would be exhausted. You know, I'd get down there at 1 in the morning. The last thing I felt like doing was training. But... I would like have these conversations with myself in the mirror and I'd be like, look, you know, you talk all this crap and say you want to do all these things and now's the time to prove it. And, uh, you know. Janae, you're one of the most successful people in the power lifting, bodybuilding world. Take me back to your teens. Where did this come from, this drive? It was honestly always there. Like, um, I mean, I remember being like really little, like three, four or five years old and seeing somebody big and strong and being like, wow, that's how I want to be. Who do you remember? You know, I never had the like, magazines. Or? Yeah, I mean, like Arnold, like everybody else. I saw Pumping Iron and the, you know, the movie, the, the action movies back in the '80s. You know, Commando and Rambo and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. And and uh, I was just obsessed with it. And I just, you know, it was just something. By the time I was six years old, I was. Uh, my dad had a little bit of weights on this uh, one-room addition we had on the back of the trailer we called the back porch, and I would sneak back there, and I would do curls and whatever I could, and I made my first weight set out of a bent bar I found in the woods, and I filled milk jugs up with sand, and I took a 2 by 12 board and laid it across those couple cinder blocks to make a bench, and I just it was just something. By the time I was in third grade, I was, uh, we had track and field day at the end of the year. It was like a, you know, like our own little mini Olympics. And to me, that was like the biggest day of the year, the most important day. By the time I was in third grade, which was like eight years old, I was training for that. Like I would spend months getting ready for this. And, you know, eight-year-olds don't normally do that stuff. It was just, but to me, it was like, I want to be the best and I wanted to win. And I, hard work was how I knew how to do it. So I would like do sprints up sand hills and carry logs and do all kinds of crazy stuff. Sounds like you were primarily driven by performance. Was there any vanity piece you, uh, in their um, early days or was it more just... What, what I was mean, I was always more the like... The aspiration. Yeah, I was more concerned with, um, you know, performance versus aesthetics. But at the same time, I wanted to look good too. And that was one of the things in powerlifting, I think that probably made me one of the more popular athletes and, and, and definitely led to some of my sponsorships because I was one of the few powerlifters that also had a you know, bodybuilder-type physique. But so, I mean, I wanted to look good, but I, performance was number one, aesthetics was number two. Um, but, I, but I wanted both, you know. I, I wanted it all, right? You know, yeah, doesn't everybody? Absolutely. What, what, did, what happened when you started transforming, your body started changing? What were, like, did you start, you know, what was the big aha moment? Did you start noticing all of a sudden people are treating you different? Were you picked on in high school or anything like I was, that? Or? I was. I was naturally. The funny thing is, is um, people sometimes don't believe this, but I was a very small, skinny kid. I, I was always a natural athlete. Like, I was fast. I could throw well. I was a good baseball player, you know, played football and wrestled. But, um, but I wasn't naturally strong and muscular. Like, I had to work really, really hard. My freshman year in high school, I played freshman football at 118 pounds. Holy cow. Yeah, and so I was strong for my size because I'd been lifting for a number of years already. Like, I, got, I was seriously lifting consistently lifting by the time I was nine years old but it was a slow process it wasn't until like my junior senior year of high school you know like grade 11 12 that I was getting muscular enough where people took notice and, and I got the reputation as being one of the lifter you know lifter guys and um but then just every year I got a little bit bigger a little stronger by the time I, then I went in the Marine Corps after high school and I was in the Marines for four years I gained 10 pounds a year I went in weighing around 185 got out weighing 225 and then uh you know 185 185- Going in, coming out 225, yep. that was a four-year span. Yep. And when did you go into the Marine Corps? Uh, 19, I got to slow you down. Yeah, you talk sure. fast. So. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no problem. Um, 1991, right after high school. So December 91, and then I got out in December 95. So you don't go to, did you go to college, university after, or anything? Yeah, after the Marines. Marine Corps, yeah, so then four I years. Six years in college after that, pharmacy school. and then uh, Six years pharmacy school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the easy stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Holy mackerel. <laughs> So you got like a whole full-blown degree in all the chemistry, the biology, all the sciences as well. Yeah. And um, what happened when you were in Marine Corps? Were you, uh, did you do anything with that afterwards? Um, not afterwards, really. Like, I mean, the Marines was a unique experience too. And, um, yeah, tell me about that. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, you know, the Marine Corps is an entirely different world, right? It's, you know, Marine Corps is all about combat and, 
and uh, they only exist for the infantry. I mean, that's all the Marine Corps exists for, and it's a very focused and very elite group, and, and that's why I joined it. I wanted to challenge myself, and, and I just felt like they were the best, and if I'm going to do something like this, I want to be part of the best. And, and I was lucky I got recruited into um, their presidential security program, actually. And uh, so I spent four years working in presidential security under uh, President Clinton. Wow. What was that like? Uh, It was a unique experience. It was a lot of fun and it was really cool. It was kind of surreal at first, you know, like it's the, the recruitment process was a really long thing. I mean, they put us through tons of testing and interviews and all kinds of psychological testing and, and uh, had a lot to do with your recommendations from people and stuff like that. And, and then you have the, all these top secret clearances and stuff you have to have, and that takes a long time to come through. And so I spent like a year and a half, almost two years in Washington, D.C., and then I spent another two years uh, up at Camp David, the presidential retreat, which is in northern Maryland. And, um, you know, after a while, it's like any other. It's your job, right? So it's just like that's what you do and it became a very normal thing. When you first get up there, you're like, holy cow, this is crazy, you know. No kidding. You know, guarding the president. And it was a great experience. And, you know, I'm fortunate that I was able to get selected and make it through everything. And, and uh, but yeah, it's a totally different world than like coming back to the civilian world was definitely an adjustment for sure. How come you came back to the civilian world? Well, I knew I wanted to have a family. That was very important to me. And I also knew the Marine Corps was no place to do that. I mean, if you want to be a really involved parent, and I did, it was, that was very important to me. And um, I knew, I mean, in the Marines, Marine Corps comes first. They don't care if your child's being born. They don't care if it's, you know, your kid's football game, baseball game, Marine Corps first. And I, so I didn't, for me, and, you know, a family being important and wanting to be very involved in that, I knew I wouldn't be able to do that and be a Marine at the same time. And uh, not that people can't, but it's just the kind of father I wanted to be. It would not have been, been possible. So. And were you powerlifting competitively through this? One of the I pa- was, yeah. So you're powerlifting competitively, so the early 20s? Yep. And then you came back from presidential security into... Um, then going to college, and uh, and then and that's when I got serious about competing. I mean, I was doing competitions in the Marines, and I did a couple in high school, but the you know the high school ones were just like high school meets. The ones in the Marines were like base meets and stuff like that. And then, uh, but then I started doing sanctioned, comp- really competitive meets when I first got out, and that was an eye opener because like in the meets in the Marines and stuff, you know, these were guys that lifted, but not competitive power lifters. So, so like. You know, I was winning those meets, and then I got out, and the first meet I went to, I was the weakest person there. And then it was like an eye-opener of, like, what strength really was. And um, so then that that opened my mind to all these other possibilities and, like, realized, like, okay, you got a lot of work to do. And then so I slowly, over the next 15 years, I slowly worked my way from the bottom all the way to the top, and little by little. That's incredible. So when did you start your family? Uh, That would have been right um, not long after I got out of the Marines. Um, So... Logan, my oldest, was uh, born in 98, um, so three years after I got out of the Marines when I was in, like, my, what, second, third year of college. And then, uh, so I started college single, <laughs> got married my first year of college. Logan was born the next year, and then by the time I graduated, our third was born in my last semester of college during my clinical rotations. So you're becoming a world champion powerlifter, starting a family in college all at the same time. What happened after college? You went, is that when you went to pharmacy school? Um, well, in, yeah. Well, I started working as a pharmacist, pharmacist yeah, right after yeah. I graduated, yeah. So moved, bought my first home, um, you know, started my first pharmacy job, you know, took my national boards, law exams. And that's, and that's really when I was transitioning to competing to the national level, too. Like, I had a big national championships, like, six weeks after college graduation, actually. But that's when I was just getting to that kind of the elite level at that point in my life. And uh, it took me, let's see, my first nationals was in 2000, and then it took me six more years before I won my first world championship. So I was competing at that level for, you know, more than half a decade before. So for six years, it took six years to ramp up. Tell me, what did it take to do that? I mean, a, a tremendous amount of sacrifice, uh, you know, yeah. consistency day in. They just kind of paint a picture for those. What were those? What do you remember when you think back to those six years? Uh, you know, being that was a primary focus in my life. And, and not to say like, you know, because some people think that if you're going to be an elite athlete that you can have nothing else. Like you can't have a family, you can't be a good parent. And that that's not true. It's just you have to have, to have your priorities in order. And for me, I mean... You know, lifting was more important than a lot of things in my life. To be honest, lifting was more important than my career. Um, like at one point, I was a pharmacy intern at one place, and the pharmacist there, I was also working as a personal trainer at the time, and I'd go into school full time and then took a second job at a pharmacy. And um, 
And then, like, it was just a, I don't know, she was a tough person to work for, and it was a demanding job, and it was making it difficult to study and everything, and I wasn't getting paid that much, and I was making more money as a personal trainer, so then I just told her, I said, hey, I'm going to stick with the personal training thing for now, and, and uh, you know, thanks for the job opportunity, but it, it just, I don't have enough time in my schedule to continue to do this, and she got really angry at me, and she's like, you know, someday you're going to have to make a choice between lifting and pharmacy, and which was not true. I, obviously, I never did. I was able to do both, but, but I remember in my mind immediately thinking, well, if I do have to, it'll definitely be lifting. Because as much as, as important as my career was, my commitment to lifting was more important. It, it wasn't a hobby. It was a passion. It was a big part of who I am. Still is, always will be. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it was the only thing that came before lifting was my family. Everything else was secondary. And uh, when did you get picked up by Muscle Tech? Uh, it was 2008. It was after I'd won the world championship. And, you know, I was one of the more popular lifters in the sport. And, you know, towards the peak of my career, and uh, Muscle Tech was looking to bring on a powerlifter. They had tons of bodybuilders, but didn't have any powerlifters on their roster. So they started this whole recruitment process, and they had a guy who was really familiar with powerlifting. And they said, give us, you know, you narrow it down to your top five, and then we'll take it to the higher-ups, and then we'll decide who we're going to pick from that. And from what I was told, I was in that five. And then they, my YouTube videos were part of it. My physique was part of it. And they just liked my attitude. And I was, you know, I was known as a very intense, very tough lifter. And they just felt, I guess, you know, that I was the most marketable. And, and so they brought me, they just called me up and said, hey, we're looking to bring on a power lifter. Would you be interested? And I was like, of course. And um, yeah, so then I was with them for like eight and a half years. And, and uh, but yeah, I was the first power lifter picked up by a major, you know, supplement company. And, and that was a great experience. I mean, you know, got to do a lot of traveling, meet tons of fans all over the world and, and uh, did a lot of really cool stuff. Uh-huh. What would you say uh, your biggest highlight was from, your, from the chapter in powerlifting? I would say probably winning the Arnold Classic um, and, and the world record. They're both, you know, that they're both pretty even. But winning my first Arnold, which was the world championships at the time, was a WPO Worlds. I mean, that was a legit world championships. Because if people that are familiar with powerlifting, powerlifting has become a very fragmented sport. There's tons of federations. So you've got a million people running around saying, I'm a world champion. But there's really only a few places where you're legit beating the best athletes in the world. And at that time, the WPO was that. We had, you know, athletes from Russia, Germany, all the top U.S. athletes. And, and it was the best of the best. They were paying out, you know, thousands of dollars and in front of, we were lifting in front of huge crowds, thousands of people. And, and it was the premier place for powerlifting at the time. And, uh, so going there and winning, you know, you meant you were the man. And, uh, but it was, yeah, that was a surreal experience because the year I won in 2006, I wasn't expecting to win that year. I, I was, I, my goal was to place top three. And the guy that was number one at the time was kind of a, had a good amount on the rest of us. He was, his total was like a hundred or 200 pounds more than the next closest person. But he ended up bombing out in the squats and it didn't get any of his squats passing. He was out of the competition. And at that point I knew it was wide open. And, um, I also knew I had the biggest deadlift. So I just had to stay close and squats are first, then bench, then deadlifts. And, um, I knew I had the biggest deadlift in the class. And so I just had to lift smart and get my lifts in. I knew I'd have a shot, but, but mentally, you know, I was prepared to be competing among the very best guys, but I really wasn't like prepared to win that year. I hadn't thought that ahead of time. So, the funny thing was after bench and it was real tight between like the top three guys and everybody's walking up to me and they knew I was the, you know, I had a bigger deadlift. Everybody's like, Oh, you got this. You got this. I was like, look, I don't have anything. Nothing is done until that last deadlift hits the floor. The second you start thinking things are over before they are, that's when you screw up. And so I was like, no, nothing's done. I still got to go out there and do it. And, and I stayed focused and it worked out. I, you know, I, I did have the biggest deadlift and ended up winning. And, but then, you know, they come out and it, and it was like a big production, right? You're up on a huge stage. Like I said, there's thousands of fans, you know, I had this big cardboard check they bring me. There's cameras everywhere. Everything's going off. And I remember just like totally zoning out. Like my brain went on autopilot and it was like sensory overload. And I'm out there and I'm getting this check and people are taking pictures. And, and it was like, I was like almost like outside my body type experience, like watching all this thing from like a third person perspective. And, and it was just like, whoa. And, and, but it was just a really cool, really surreal experience. And, and, um, and then it just did, and it did tons, you know, for my confidence and my ability to compete and, and, uh, you know, it's like one of those things, success breeds success, right? So the more success I had, the more I believed in myself to be able to achieve more in the future. And, and uh, that was definitely but one of the big moments. And the other thing was the world record. I mean, I had focused on that for over a decade. And it was one of those things I didn't talk about a lot. I didn't say a lot about it until I was getting close. But I had, it was a goal of mine for, even as a, as a small kid, even as a young child, I knew I wanted to be the best in the world at something, but I didn't know what that was initially. Like at first I thought it was baseball. I was really passionate about baseball when I was a kid. And, and then in high school, maybe it was like football or wrestling or something. But then I realized that well, lifting is my passion. That's what I really, no matter what I was doing, I was always in the gym. 
And, uh, but yeah, I, I remember the funny thing was I wrote an article for powerlifting USA magazine, which doesn't exist anymore, but, um, and it was called what it takes to be a champion. And I wrote this before I was really anybody. And the magazine act actually rejected the article and, um, probably because they were like, who's this guy? He's a nobody. Like, what does he know about being a champion? You know, years and years later I did, I was, when, when I left the sport, I was number one in the world all the time. But, uh, yeah, that was a huge goal. And when I finally achieved it, it was, but the funny thing was, is that nobody thinks about is that you're so focused on this goal and so focused on what you want to achieve when it happens, you don't think about what afterwards. And so when I broke the world record, then it was like, what now? Like it was this letdown. Like now what, what do I focus on? So I was like, well, I could go up to the next weight class and get the next world record, but it just didn't feel like that big of a challenge. And that's when actually I made the transition to bodybuilding because of my, the build I had for power. A lot of people were like, oh, you need to try bodybuilding. You need to try bodybuilding. And oh, I didn't know you did bodybuilding too. But yeah, I did one bodybuilding show right after the Marines. And then that's, and then I did my next power to me. It was like literally a month after the bodybuilding show. And then I focused on powerlifting for like the next 15 years. But yeah, then I went uh, back to bodybuilding. I won the Michigan State Championships, competed at nationals. and But then, as I'm sure we'll probably get into shortly, that's when transition and everything kind of came in and and uh, kind of my lifting career kind of got stalled and you know I had other, other, a lot of other things going on to focus on. All right, before we talk about transition, how do you and Mikey meet? So for those uh, listening, my brother Michael is the individual who documented your transition for over two, two and a half years, I believe. And I still remember him telling me about the trips up to Michigan and uh, the late nights and, uh, you know, telling us this uh, fascinating story. And uh, we were all obviously confused, not too sure uh, what to make of everything. And, uh, you know, the Del Montes were really understanding people, very curious people. And the film for me was absolutely fascinating. I'll share my takeaway uh, maybe near the end of the call but um, or the podcast. But, yeah, how did you guys meet? Uh, how did that all come to be? Um, bring yeah, us to that. So, okay, so yeah, so what happened was, interesting story and kind of funny how just people know each other and how things work out. But uh, so Brian Hunt, who's the videographer for the documentary, had actually shot me doing some freelance work for Muscle Tech, like about six months or so before I got outed. And, uh, and we had had dinner together afterwards and he's a really good guy. And, and, you know, we kind of talked a lot. And then, uh, so then after I got outed in July of 2015, um, he contacted Michael and said, Hey, hang on. Outed from as, as being transgender. Okay. Outed by who? Um, this guy, Louis Marco, that runs like a YouTube, like gossip type vlog. Oh yeah. yeah I know that guy. Yeah. So yeah. So he outed me as being trans and, and it went viral and it turned my world upside down for a while. Uh, okay. So he brought it up on YouTube and then all of a sudden that went viral, but your close friends must've known like your yeah, lifting I was buddies out, and everything. Fortunately, I was already out to my family and friends for okay. like a decade. It was a slow process and I slowly told people over a, a period of years, but I had started coming out to people like 10 years before that. And I was very open with my three sons. They knew their whole lives. I told them when they were very young. So the people that were important to me and close to me all knew. But then also I was, I was out to some of my sponsors, not Muscle Tech and not some of the big ones, but like some of them that I was closer to, Elite, EliteFTS.com, yeah. oh, yeah. Dave Tate and, and like Jim Wendler, when he was with them, I was out to those guys and they were very supportive and very yeah. cool. And they had known for a long time. And then at the elite level, like the guys I was competing with at Worlds and stuff, they all knew because I was op I was pretty open about it, yeah, as open as had, I could you be. Had your fingernails, yeah, uh, done. Like yeah, like sometimes, yeah, I would do stuff like that, but I never showed up at meets. Like no one, you know, actually saw me in person. Sometimes I would share pictures and stuff. How did they but, know? Um, I was just I was open about it. Oh, okay, because a lot of these guys were my. Did good they bring friends it up, too. or you just tell them? Or just... it was it, initially it was a really scary process, right? Because so you know, like because I was known as this like you know kind of ultimate alpha male type person, right? Oh, of the ex marine, the you know, champion powerlifter. And I was like this, and not just a powerlifter. I was like known as this crazy intense, like the craziest of the crazy guys. Yeah. And sticky um, nails in yeah, your biceps. Yeah, yeah. Holy cow. But you know, it was something that I'd been dealing with since I was a young child. I knew I had these feelings by the time I was five or six years old, but I was terrified to tell anybody. And, um, so then, so then I slowly, but basically by the time was just, this is about the peak of my powerlifting career. It became one of these things I just couldn't, I couldn't suppress any longer. And I had to start dealing with, it was tearing me apart so I slowly started coming out to the people closest to me. And it was so hard initially. I was so terrified. I was terrified of their reactions. I was terrified, am I going to lose my friends? Is my family going to reject me? What are people going to think? And fortunately, my friends, you know, were very, very good and very supportive. And initially, it was a shock to everyone. No one saw that coming. You know, like I said, I was known as this, like, ultimate, you know, you know really alpha, alpha male. You know, but oh, I was so terrified. And my first, one of my first close friends, this guy, Chad Walker, who was one of my training partners and longtime friends from college, 
um, it took me three months to tell him of like partial conversations of having these deep conversations and kind of hinting at it and like, but I, I couldn't even bring myself to get the words out. Like I was so afraid of what, what, what were and, the words. Yeah. I mean, in the end, it was just basically telling him that I was trans, but like, but I would, you know, talk about, well, you know, I'm different. There's a lot about me. You don't know, you know, kind of things. And this is like one of my very best friends. I was the best man in his wedding. And, and, um, you know, and he just, he's just like, look at me like, dude, I don't, you know, I don't know what you're going to tell me, but it doesn't matter. But I'm thinking, dude, it might, you know, and I just, I was, had no idea how they would react. And, but fortunately I haven't lost any of my friends. Everyone was very supportive. A lot of them were shocked. Some of my friends thought it was a practical joke. Like I was pulling some kind of prank. That's how, you know, how much this seemed to them like to be absurd. Like there's just no way it could be you. And, um, yeah, one of my friends, after I told him it was over the phone and he, and, uh, he lived a few hours away and then he started calling all my other friends that I told him I'd already told. And he's like, come on, you guys are messing with me. There's just no way this is true. And they're like, no, dude, it's legit. It's legit. How many messages would you say you get a day? just out of curiosity from people saying how inspirational you, you know, kind of leading the way showing, I wouldn't say it wasn't that bad, but it doesn't sound it was as bad as you thought it was. Would that be safe in, to say? In, yeah, in some way. It depends. I mean, it depends. We're talking about the people closest to me were very supportive. But I mean, when I got outed publicly and we're out to the fan base and, you know, everyone that was. I want to talk about some of those repercussions, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah continue. Yeah, so there, I mean, it's been a mix, you know, there's, I, yeah, I would say 50, 50, there's been a lot of support, but then there's been a lot of hate and so my own family has a really difficult time with it. There's, you know, aunts and uncles that don't really talk to me anymore. I've been uninvited to weddings and not welcome at holidays and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, but then, like I said, the people that matter to me most and are closest to me have, have been awesome. And, and most importantly, my three sons are amazing and support me a hundred percent. And that's, that's the most important thing. Your boys me. are so cool. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Your boys are awesome. They uh, were the highlight of the film. You know, just watching the film, it just, oh my God, they're so warm. The relationship you guys had was just so, uh, like, it just almost tears you up just watching it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm very fortunate. and But it was always important to me to be a really good parent and, and be, you know, have a very good relationship with my son. So I worked really, really hard on that. But a big part of that was me being open and honest with them. You know, me telling them at a, at a really young age, they knew their whole lives growing up. Number one, they knew I, w I would never lie to them about anything. If I'm going to be open and honest about this, there's nothing else I'm going to hide from them. And then also it just, uh, you know, it built that real, that, that bond, that trust. And, and uh, you know, and then it also helped them be open-minded and accepting of others' differences. And that was a huge thing. Like, you know, they, for them, that's just, it's always been part of me. So that's the only way they've known me. And, um, but then it's helped them like just realize, hey, people are different. Life's complicated and it's okay. Not everyone has to be the same. You know what? That was one of the big things from watching the film because I never knew, you know, do I have to have a stance? Do mm -hmm. I have to have an opinion on this? And the film was just so reassuring that I don't need to know. No. I think after the film, I said, uh, I'm a little confused. What do I call you? And you go, yeah. and you go, oh, don't worry. I'm confused too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not just, a big deal. It's okay to be confused. Yeah. Cause the thing and is, that was so reassuring for me that I don't have to have, like, I don't have to be in a camp or anything like that. Yeah, because the thing is, like, right, we're conditioned, right? Like, that uh, there's these boxes and we have to fit into them. And, you know, you're male, you're female, you're gay, you're straight, and that's all there is. But that's not the reality of it. People are very complex and there's a lot to us. And, and uh, there isn't, we don't always fit neatly into these little boxes. And for me, pff, I don't fit in any box. Like, I'm this blurry person that kind of exists in all these different worlds. And, and I'm the extreme, you know, I'm extremely masculine in some ways. I'm extremely feminine in a lot of ways. And, and my existence makes people uncomfortable because people, you know, get uncomfortable with things they don't understand. Yeah, you know what? I think that's just it. They just, and I don't, I think for me, I have struggles too, you know, and I think we all have struggles we all do, and we yeah. just need to be compassionate for what each of us are going through in life. And that's like the true sign of a good person, you know, not legalistic things, but your feelings and your, the way you treat other people. Right. Your compassion for your fellow person, right? Yeah. 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 And it, it just, and the thing is, and that's what I really hope with the film when people watch it and stuff is really at its core, what, really what the film is just about is just somebody struggling to be themselves. And, you know, not everybody, I mean, not everybody's a power lifter or ex-marine or, you know, or um, transgender, but, but we all at some point in our lives, you know, kind of struggle to figure out who we are and what's authentic and what's the reality. And when we get to a point where we kind of start worrying less about what other people think and realizing it's more important to be true to ourselves. And, and that's really what I think what the film is about of just one person struggle to be authentic. And, and that was so, so well done. Like I, you know, I know my brother, obviously he did an awesome job. You know, I asked yeah. him, how do you, how do you make a good documentary? I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but he is, you know, the documentaries he doesn't like are the ones where the director 
spells it out for you as if you're an idiot and you can't actually watch the movie yourself. And a good documentary is just when you let a story naturally unfold, which you need time for. This isn't reality TV where you're trying to, you know, condense everything in two weeks and you're trying to create drama. This is a story that's told over time. And in that process, uh, you can just, you know, get into the, the journey with the individual. And that's what I really felt, you know, could just really sense the realness, the realness. So what I'm trying to say is there was no political um, agenda with the film. It was just telling an individual story. And I feel that was the most refreshing thing, uh, you know, big takeaway for me and from a lot of the uh, people that um, saw the film with me. Yeah, and I think Michael did an amazing job of, of yeah, of telling my story and, and keeping any bias out of it. It's not like, it's not. It's, That's what it's I was trying by to no say. means. It's not pushing. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not pushing any. It's not saying, oh, you need to accept this and you need to, you know, be part of this community or you need to or you need to be against it or this is wrong or this is bad. It's not. It's not. It's not good or bad. There is. It's. It, it just is what it is. You know, it's just who I am and this is my story. And he did a very good job of just yeah showing my life over a two year period, everything I struggled with, and and I'm just an open person. So I was very open about the things I felt and the things I was dealing with. And, and I think that comes through in the film. You just, you know, you see, it's, it's, you see when I'm hurting, you see when I'm, things are great. You see the joy with my boys. You see me in South Korea breaking down before one of my surgeries. I mean, it's just a lot of tough stuff, you know? Tell me about the one in uh, South Korea. That was a, that was an expensive one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, well, the most expensive was the facial surgery, but the South Korea was the vocal cord surgery. And, um, which it did, I don't know, People who, if they followed my career or whatever, I had an extremely deep masculine voice, like really, really deep. And now it's still like, I, I was hoping for more of a change from the surgery, but even my voice still sounds quite masculine most of the time. It's a lot higher pitched than it used to be. I was hoping for a better result, but then sometimes that's the way things go, you know, but, um, but I'm comfortable with where it's at. And, and, um, so you but, did yeah. the vocal cord surgery yep. and, and then you did the facial surgery as yep. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was in uh, Beverly Hills in, in California, and uh, they show that in the, in the film as well. And uh, that was huge for me, and that really made a huge difference and really helped me be a lot more comfortable um, in my own body. And Because that's the thing is, like, my I had naturally very masculine facial characteristics, you know, a broad square jaw and kind of a thick forehead and... and um, you know, so, and that just was never, my whole life, like, even though I was into lifting and I was an athlete and people, like, associate these things with masculinity, um, which I really don't feel they are. I feel like, you know, there's female athletes, there's male athletes, and you know, it has nothing to do with gender. But um, but uh, I was never comfortable with my own image in, in the mirror. I, I And I didn't recognize it at the time, even though I knew I had these feelings, I didn't realize it was because seeing these masculine things never felt right to me. But um, I, I thought I was very unattractive. I thought I was very ugly. I thought no one would be, ever be interested in me. And I just accepted that. And I remember looking in the mirror and saying, hey, dude, you know what? You're ugly. No one's ever going to be attracted to you. Focus on sports. Focus on school. Do the things you need to do. Don't worry about that. And, but it was because there was such a disconnect of how I felt on the inside and what I saw on the outside. And um, so the facial surgery was huge for me just to feel some peace and finally feel like it's just basically an external representation of an internal feeling. So it just allowed me to the outside to more match my inside. And it, that was a huge step for me and really it help? important. It helped, it help? a yeah. it helped a ton. Yeah. Yeah, I feel so much better now. Is there anything else you want to do? Yeah, I mean, there's still, like, so my hair, just from being older and other things, has thinned a lot, and it, it frustrates me that I can't grow my hair out. I'd like to have it in a more feminine style or, you know, gender neutral, maybe some days where, because, like, one thing that's complicated, too, is that, like I said, I don't fit neatly in any boxes, and even though I identify as a transgender woman, I also identify as non-binary and gender fluid, which for people that aren't familiar with those things, just kind of means I don't fit neatly in a box. And like non-binary means I out- exist outside of that binary, meaning just male and female world. And then gender fluid, meaning there's a degree of fluidity. There's some days I feel more masculine. There's some days I feel more feminine. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but it's just who I am and it's just how it works. And and uh, as much as I've struggled with it, it's just, this is this is me, you know? And, and uh, I'm just finally at a point in my life where I don't care what other people think. And uh, I'm just going to be me and do what makes me feel good and, you know, some days I'm very, very feminine and some days I look more masculine. Like today as we're sitting here, I mean, my nails are painted and I walked in with a purse and I'm wearing women's tights and a tank top, but I look more masculine than, you know, like I'm 
right now I'm about 240 pounds at probably around 9% body fat. And, you know, my hair's short and, you know, most people would consider I look very masculine. Did you say 250, 9% body fat? 240, about 9%. Holy cow. Yeah, I'm kind of right now, I might actually kind of refocus my training. I'm actually working on putting some more muscle back on and um, getting my strength back up. Because I'm, you know, most local gyms I walk into, I'm still probably going to be the strongest person there. But I'm a far cry from where I was at the peak of my career. My lifts are hundreds of pounds less than they used to be. And and that's frustrating. As an athlete, no one, you know, wants to be less than their best. So it's very frustrating for me. So after I went on estrogen for a while and my lifts decreased a lot and I've lost, at my biggest, I was like 280 pounds. Um, And, uh, you know, it's like... Oh, the pictures are on Google. The videos are on YouTube. Check check them out, guys. After the interview here. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so, you know, like people look at me and be like, oh, man, you're still so jacked. And yeah, but I'm a lot... Not not nearly compared to what I used to be. So that's hard for me as an athlete. Yeah. Like to, you know, I'm going in and, you know, maybe like yesterday I did some reverse band benching, worked up to five plates for a triple on bench. So, you know, roughly 500 pounds for a triple. But in the, in the back in the day, that was a warm up, you know, you know, so like, you know, so it's. Uh, Can I tell a funny story? When, sure, uh, Mikey was lifting with you and uh, he was just, you know, Mikey's new to this world asking you, hey, so what's a good deadlift? And you're like, yeah, 405 is kind of like a good starting weight. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I guess I can't work out with her. <laughs> uh, 405 is a good starting weight. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's all perspective, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, for new people in the gym, that's great. That's huge. Yeah. But then, like, if you're talking about, you know, I competed against the strongest people in the world. So to me, unless you're talking like a grand, you know, then it's, you know. <laughs> a grand. Uh, I, I never use that word, a grand, in the gym. <laughs> Hey, so um, do you mind me asking, how did you and Olivia, is it Olivia or Olivia? Olivia. Olivia, how did you guys meet? Um, Actually, we met at the uh, film festival here, Hot Docs in Toronto in the spring. And uh, yeah, she came to see one of the screenings and hung around afterwards and we talked a little bit and and, uh, then, you know, we'd message each other a little bit on Instagram after that. And then, uh, and I had no idea if she was interested in me when I first saw her, I was like, damn, she's, uh, she's pretty cute, you know? And, and, uh, I was definitely interested right off the bat, but I had no idea if she was interested in me, me being as complicated as I am. And, and, uh, you know, I had no idea. And then, um, but then she sent me a message this summer and, and, uh, when I saw that, I was like, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to start flirting with her and see where it goes. And, and, uh, so I did. And, and, uh, she's so seemed- been up to Michigan. Oh yeah, how long yeah. have you guys been seeing each other? Uh, since the summer, since August. Oh, cool. And uh, yeah, so it's going really, really well. And she's an amazing person, and I'm very, very lucky that uh, you know we met. And and see uh, you lift together. Li- sorry, oh, lift, yeah. lift together. Yeah, yeah, lift yeah. together. Yeah, I could tell you're in great shape as well. Yeah, yeah. She competes in the FireFit Championships and actually just won the Canadian Nationals about a month ago. And oh, cool. And uh, set the Canadian World Record. And uh, oh, wow. Yeah, she's she's an elite athlete, very good athlete. So yeah, so we totally have that in common, and and uh, but no, she's an amazing girl, and um, really happy, and and uh, it's just you know it, it's like I said for someone like I mean relationships are tough for everybody, right? You know, meeting the right person, and you know, so many things involved, and then for somebody like me that's so complicated, I think that even reduces the number of possible you know people in the world for me, and to meet someone like Olivia that not you got to look at it as a good thing though. Oh, for sure, you yeah. almost have to look at every. I always was raised to look at everything from a positive, not as a negative. Right? Right. And it just is, uh, helps you make your decisions quicker. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, I mean, it's one perspective. Yeah, for sure. But, um, but yeah, it's just like, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I've, I don't know, like I said, it's still early and don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but kind of feel like I hit the jackpot, you know, she's an amazing person and we seem to mesh really well and she, she has all the qualities I'm looking for in someone and, gotcha. and, uh, yeah, so, so far so good. Well, I wish you both all the best. Um, I would love to hear what are you up to now with, you know, I'm a, you know, this is for a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show. All right. This is the Vince Delmonte 5M podcast. We teach uh, individuals how to maximize their muscle, their mindset, their money, their mission, and their marriage. So let's talk about money a little bit because um, I love to just hear what your business, what you do right now uh, for work and where you're, what you're, where you're, what you're working on. What are you looking forward to projects, et cetera? Yeah. A lot of stuff for me. It seems like I always have a lot of irons in the fire, but uh but um, so I'm still I'm working full time as a pharmacist at a hospital and uh, in an inpatient uh, setting, and so that's like my primary source of income. But then I also um, I have I have a number of clients, but I've kind of scaled back on that due to time and stuff as far as like training and stuff. So I still write diets and training programs. But then um, you know I got a lot of stuff going on with the documentary. I'm doing a lot of speaking about sexuality and gender. Um, I speak at colleges, universities. I'm actually doing a tour here in Australia, New Zealand. 
um, in February where I'm doing, I'll be out there for 10 days speaking. And then I'm also working on my autobiography. And, oh, good uh, for you. Yeah. You so, got a publisher? Um, we, st- we haven't negotiated that yet. I mean, I, I published one book before, so, um, so I have some connections in that world, but that's something I'll work on with my manager. Well, when your book comes out, I'll buy 50 copies and gift them. Awesome. Awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah those are exciting projects and and uh, but a lot of it, I'm just you know the activism, education, a lot of it to do with you know my passions, lifting and and um, you know stuff related to the transgender world, even with women's rights and women, female athletes and stuff like that. So all those kind of things. Are, are you competing right now? Or I'm do not. You want to? Um, well, I always want to, right? Like yeah, an athlete, I understand. You know, yeah. yeah, but. Um, it's, you know, it's a complicated thing, right? And um, for yeah, me... Yeah, what would you compete in? Yeah, I guess how does that a, work? Yeah, so oh, it's complicated. So, you know, in the powerlifting world, not a lot of the federations have really adopted official rules regarding transgender athletes. And then the Olympics obviously have, the NCAA in the U.S. has. And, um, but for me, like, the thing is, even though I, like I said, I'm, I'm blurry. I don't fit neatly in any of these categories. And for me... Um, I don't feel it's fair for me to compete in a women's division. And, and I don't, I don't want anybody to misinterpret this and think that it's not fair for transgender athletes to compete because it is. And at least that's what the research shows us so far. Um, transgender athletes have been able to compete in the Olympics since the 2004 Olympics in Athens. And so far, not a single one has medaled, won gold, broken any records. So there's a lot of misinformation out there. They make it sound like trans women are dominating sports and stuff. That, that, and in reality, that has not happened. And, um, but for me, it's totally different because for one thing, I'm, I'm, t- I'm taking a mixture of female and male hormones. Right. So and so testosterone that, and estrogen at the yeah. same time? Uh, how- it's complicated. I'm, we're st- I'm still working with an endocrinologist. We're trying to figure things out. Like I said, I don't fit neatly in one box. So I'm trying to figure out what makes me feel most at peace and what allows me to still achieve my goals. And so there's, you know, still experimenting with those things, but, but that alone, the fact that I'm still using some male hormones does would, you know, would not make it fair for me to compete. Um, in a female division, and it's complicated. And, and so the struggle's still there. To oh, for which, sure. Which, yeah. Well, it's kind of like what I've, okay, so where I'm at and, and what I've realized this is... This is what I'm curious about. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, because it's, it's crazy, and a lot of people aren't familiar with this stuff. So um, so what it is is that I don't fit neatly. It's in the, and the problem, the struggle for me was I, you feel like you have to pick, right? I got to be male or I got to be female. And if I got to be female, then I have all these other things pushed on me, right? I need to look a certain way. I need to act a certain way. You know, my body needs to look a certain way. So like when I first decided to transition... I dropped 72 pounds, um, and this is muscle that I spent decades building and working for, and so I went from 272 down to 200 in a period of about four months, you know, and then I'm thinking, well, I, I'm going to, you know, I want to have this perfect female body and do all this stuff, and because for me, I, I don't do things halfway, like it's 100% or nothing, right, like that's kind of how I am. So if I'm like, well, if I'm going to be a girl, I'm going to do my best job I can to be the best woman possible. But I've had all these pressures from society, right? And the media and all the stuff of what a woman is supposed to be. Well, and they tell you right up front, a woman's not supposed to be this huge muscular person. And so I thought, like, I have to lose all this muscle and everything in order to be a woman. And um, so, but then I get, I get down to like 200 and I had planned to lose a lot more than that. But then I start, like, it starts really bothering me. I'm losing so much strength. I'm losing so much size excuse me, and all this stuff I worked really hard for. But then it's confusing. I'm like, well, gosh, I, like, I have all these feelings and, and I feel like, you know, I need to be female. And, but now I'm getting smaller and instead of making me happier, it's making me form, feel more miserable. And, and so it was really confusing. And, and so then I was going back and forth and I would, then I'd like bail on that and then go back to lifting really hard and then start getting more masculine again. And then that would like, you know, then it's just back and forth, back and forth. And that's kind of where a lot of it was, you know, you see that somewhat in the documentary. And I think one of the things that fascinated Michael about my story was, you know, someone like me trying to conform to these feminine ideals. And so what I've realized is, is I just try to focus on being me. Don't worry about masculine. Don't worry about feminine. Don't worry about what a woman's supposed to be or a man's supposed to be, or like all these things we're told. And instead just focus on being myself, you know? So that's kind of just where I'm at. Like I try not to think about those things and, you know, like right now, like my nails are painted because that makes me feel good and I like it. And, you know, and I wear primarily female clothing or what's designed for females and, um, but, uh, but I'm still like, I'm big and muscular because that makes me feel good. And that's what I like to be. And, and, uh, and some days I present much more masculine. Like I look now and then versus days, like when you saw me at the documentary, I yeah. looked, you know, I dressed very feminine and, um, you know, and I often, I wear makeup and I wear wigs and, and, and I do want to grow my hair out. And, but it's just, like I said, I don't, I, I really try hard not to think about 
you know, what is supposed to be and just allow to be what is. And because um, I think I think we all fall prey to that, right? Like, you know, like guys growing up, well, a man is this and a man is that. A man doesn't show emotion. A man's tough and, you know, you got you to gotta be this and be that. And, and that's great if that's who you are. But if it's not who you are and you're trying to force yourself to be something different, you're always going to be miserable. And the same thing with women, you know, women are told like, you know, what do we see? What happens when you, little girls right away? Oh, sweetie, oh, honey, like, oh, be careful. Don't hurt yourself. You know, where the boy's like, oh, you got to be tough. You, get, you know, don't show emotion don't cry and and there's all these things pushed on us from a very young age and we don't even realize it and people that are doing it don't even realize what they're doing but with little girls you know they're stressed so much their looks it's all about their looks right what do you tell a little girl oh you're so beautiful you're so pretty and what kind of message does that send it's telling them that the most important thing about them is how they look you know so there's all these outside influences and it makes it really really hard for anyone to be themselves That's fine. i read a great book by um, meg meeker and it's all on parenting and one of the things uh, she advises as a pediatrician is pediatrician or psychiatrist she's a doctor anyways and she says to yeah not to continually tell your daughter she's beautiful she's beautiful beautiful but compliment what she can control her character exactly yeah and yeah that was a big uh idea for me hey two questions i don't want to forget them well, what do you think of uh what trump's up to with redefining i don't i'm just oh, curious Redefi- um, i don't watch the I news mean, much yeah. but i do know this is going on right now while we're talking yeah there's oh gosh i mean <laughs> really it's it's i'm just curious no it's it's you know there's really no reason for it other than it's a it's a blatant attack on the transgender community they're basically trying to legislate like with the law so what they're trying to do is basically make it to where gender is defined as male or female and there's nothing else. And what that effectively does is eliminate transgender people from a legal representation. So it would take away all of our rights because you would have to either, and, and not only is there only male or female, but it's whatever you're assigned at birth. So once you're born and, you know, decided that you're male or female, which for most people that's very easy, but there's a lot of people that are intersex and it's not as clear cut and, and they typically do surgeries right away to make a person fit more into one gender. But, uh, but, but what it does is effectively eliminate those communities. It eliminates the transgender community, eliminates the bi- non-binary community or gender fluid people, intersex people. And so it basically defines everyone in one of two boxes and it's, that's assigned at birth and that's all there is. So legally that has huge repercussions for anyone who doesn't fit neatly in those boxes. And so it's basically, there's no other reason to even be undertaking this other than to basically um, eliminate the transgender community in our presence and then and um, to appease the extreme right-wing people that, that have a big issue with us. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a horrible thing. Why, why, do, you, why do you want to attack any community? More than anything, I think it's like a lot of political motivations is a pander for votes and to, you know, but, but for us, it's, it's devastating and it's scary. And, you know, hopefully none of this stuff, you know, works. It's, you know, in the end, all th- everything works out. But, uh, but yeah, very scary times. I know you're outspoken, but you do it in a nice way. Like you're not like um, obnoxious. <laughs> no, I mean, I try to, I really try hard to be an objective person and see things from all angles. And like, you know, I, I realize the thing is with me growing up the way I have and, and living the experience I've had, I, I know what it's like to be part of these very alpha communities and be like in, you know, um, be in the Marine Corps and places like that and be in the poverty communities. And then I also, as a transgender person, I know what it's like to be in these, you know, very different circles with, you know, trans people. And I've also, you know, become part of the, like the intersectional feminist community and stuff like that. And they get a very bad rap a lot of times, but, but, um, but I've seen things from a lot of different angles and I know what it's like to experience life as an alpha male. I know what it's like to experience life as a transgender person. Because the thing is, so, you know, as a muscular white male, you, there's a lot of privileges and you get treated very differently than especially being in a non-passing trans woman. So like at the, at the peak of my career and like when I was first coming out and going, venturing out into public as Janae, my, my life was crazy. So like, so I might be one weekend, I might be at an expo, like at the Arnold Classic, the Olympia in Vegas, be signing autographs and having fans waiting an hour in line to take a picture with me. So I'm being treated like this, you know, famous superstar. Then I go back home and I have, I still have a nine to five regular job where I'm, you know, just kind of living an average middle-class life. But then maybe on the weekend, I'm going out as Janae and I'm not passing and uh, I'm being treated as less than human. You know, like I'm running into people who, you know, see me as just like this weirdo pervert, you know, scum. And, and so it was like these really crazy conflicting experiences. But I think what it helped me do was really give me a great perspective and 
and help to realize like there's people are treated so many different ways and to see things from different angles. So I, I truly try really hard even now, even people like the, you know, the hardcore Trump supporters, I try to understand, well, where are they coming from? Why do they feel this way? What are the things they see, you know? And, um, and it's just like, you know, what, what are their fears? Like why, what, what drives them, what motivates them? And a lot of times you find out people are so much more alike than we're different, but we allow those few small differences. And a lot of it's fear driven, right? Like it's the fear of the unknown. And, and I can understand why people, like if you've never, if you have no experience with trans people and your only exposure to it is like, you know, the stuff that's been portrayed in movies or like a Jerry Springer talk show, I can understand why you're like, well, what the, what's going on with these weirdos? What are they doing to our society? But the reality of it is it's so different than everybody thinks. But yeah, there's just, you know, so education's huge. And it's just being able to communicate and have a conversation and not, um, you know, it, I, you'll never see me arguing or attacking people because that, that's counterproductive. Yeah. So yeah, I, I try hard. I try hard to keep an open mind. And That's, and, that's yeah. a lesson for everybody. Rise up, everyone. Rise up, you know, stop attacking, stop sending insults. What are you doing? Going for tit for tat, back and forth, where you guys get? I, you know, that's why I wanted to have you on, Janae, you know, the education component. Because, uh, yeah, I think for many people, it's just, yeah, it's just the fear of the unknown. You, you, nailed, sure. it, you nailed it on the head. Hey, I want to ask you uh, maybe one or two more questions. How do you handle... Uh, you know, I've had a YouTube channel for 10 years, so I've got my fair share of haters. I oh, got yeah. people that do full-blown 23-minute videos about me, <laughs> and, you know, they're mischaracterizing and manipulating yep. info. And how do you deal with daily hate? You know, honestly, at this point, it's a lot easier than it was initially. But, uh, but the funny thing is I joke that, and, and it's, I'm being serious as well, but, but my success in powerlifting prepared me very well for coming out as transgender because – once it was, it was crazy, you know, it's like, I mean, and I'm sure you can, you, you've experienced this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But when I won my first world championship, I went from someone, no one really knew to all of a sudden I was the subject of all these discussions on forums, all this stuff. And there were all these people saying terrible things about me that had never met me, didn't know me. And they're totally, everything's untrue. And, and at first, you know, it's, you find it upsetting. You're like, how can they say this? This is a total lie. And, and, uh, and then you realize pretty soon, like, no matter what, you can be the best person in the world. You can be the kindest, the most nice, the most giving. Someone's still going to hate you. And so once you realize that, then you just accept it. And, I, and the other thing I really try to remember, and this helped me a lot, was to remember when people say terrible things about you, it's more of a reflection of who they are than who you are. And so as long as you keep that in mind, it really helps to deal with it. So by the time, you know, I got outed as trans, and of course, you can only imagine the things that people say now and just horrible, but... Um, Sometimes I'm able to laugh at it. Sometimes you know, I find it humorous. And, but sometimes it's frustrating. And sometimes people say things that really hit home. And, and especially when they talk about my children or my relationship. Oh, that's really tough. But you just, like, like I said, you just realize it doesn't matter. Like no matter who you are and how good you are, someone's still going to hate you. Yeah. So just you know, be true to yourself. Do your thing. And, and don't worry about what people say. That's great. So we always finish the show with uh, three rapid fire questions. Okay. All right. <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to warn you. They're like bullets. Okay. All right. Here we go. So, um, what are you looking forward to most these days? Just living a happy, authentic life, you know, and, uh, you know, success like everybody else and to be loved and, and watch my children grow up and have their own families. Oh, uh, it's amazing. Uh, what's not going so well these days? Not, I don't know. Life's pretty good. I mean, really, it's, you know, it's, it's still, to be honest, it's still like I still um, am doing a lot of personal development and still growing and evolving as a person. I'd say that's my biggest challenge. Um, but uh, I can't say there's anything bad. Life is good. Awesome. And what are you uh, looking forward to most? Whew, looking forward to the future. I mean, in so many ways. I mean, my relationship with Olivia, my my boys uh, growing up and becoming their own young men and, and uh, just, you know, my future successes and hopefully the people I'll meet and the relationships I'll form. That's fantastic. Hey, Janae, when we uh, hit the gym, you're going to be back in Toronto. When, when's the next time you're coming back? Uh, I'm, I'm here quite a bit lately. Okay, got sweet. a good reason to visit. I think I need four weeks to just get closer to that respectable level. <laughs> and then uh, when we hit the gym, what are we going to train? We're we going to do your workout? Oh, of course. Of okay, course. Sweet. Uh, so, hey, where can people follow you? How can people get in contact with you? On uh, social media, it's Janae Marie Croc on Instagram, and that's Croc, K-R-O-C. And Janae is J-A-N-A-E. And, uh, and then same thing on Facebook and uh, Twitter. And then I have my website, JanaeCroc.com. Oh, fantastic. And maybe just one final word to uh, everybody listening. Uh, any final advice or just uh, parting words that you want to share with us before we wrap up here? And I'm sure we could do this yeah. again in the future, by the oh, way. Yeah. You know? yeah, I mean, I think just in general, you know, be kind, be nice, be open to other people's perspectives and, uh, you know, try hard to be a good person. It's not easy, but uh, we're every, the thing is everyone's got struggles that you don't know anything about. So kind of always give people a break and, you know, give them benefit of the doubt and, 
and uh, step outside your comfort zone, try to learn things you know you don't know about. That's fantastic. And you guys have a film in theaters right now. Why don't you just tell me a bit about, uh, just give me the details. It came to Canada. I saw it in April with uh, three sold out crowds and it's on iTunes right now in the States. Yeah. So it's, um, so it, it, I think it just finished its theatrical run and we were in like 25 major cities in the U S and it's going to air on the CBC network documentary channel here, uh, in November in Canada and then, uh, in the U S and I think a few other markets it's available on, uh, Amazon prime, iTunes, YouTube, number of other online downloadable sources on demand. And yeah, movie's called Transformer, and uh, I think uh, a lot of people are really going to enjoy it. Yeah, the film is absolutely outstanding. So make sure you, uh, when you can, watch Transformer and uh, send Janae some love. Send her a message. Tell her what you thought about the podcast here today. Janae, it's great having you over here. Olivia, pleasure to meet you as well. And you guys enjoy the rest of your trip in Toronto. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Hey, one last thing. I just want to thank each and every one of you who have picked up Preload. The feedback has been amazing. One guy just messaged me and he said, I literally salvitate the night before I'm going to take Preload in anticipation of the limitless energy it gives me. Another guy said, holy cow, this stuff should be illegal. (laughs) Another guy was telling me that he uh, was trying to sell his friend on Preload And he said, I didn't know what to tell him. I just told the guy that you just need to try it, man. You just won't believe it until you try it. And that's why we've got a crazy deal. We've got a 365-day money-back guarantee. Do you know any other bodybuilding companies that give you a one-year money-back guarantee on their pre-workout? Do you know any other pre-workout companies that give you free shipping? I don't. And we put our money where our mouth is because we created a formula that makes some big claims that you'll see at FullyLoadedSupplements.com. Everything is backed by science. Every single ingredient, every single dose, and you can read all about it at FullyLoadedSupplements.com. I want you to be educated before you make that investment. And if anything that we promise does not come true for you, refund it, all right? We don't want your money. If it doesn't do what we say it's gonna do, which is give you all day energy and pure focus and mind-blowing pumps, and immediate strength gains in the gym, refund it, all right? I don't sleep well knowing people have invested into my work, into my programs, into my products, if they're not getting what we've claimed it's gonna do. So there is zero risk on your shoulders, and if you wait to try it, you will not get the free shipping. So if you're ready to maximize your life and achieve the body of your dreams, go to FullyLoadedSupplements.com and grab your preload. You'll see three options there. Pick the one that works best for you, and experience the world's first all-day energy formula. I'm pumped for your feedback. Have a great rest of your day.